Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Ruth Rootberg, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Amherst, Massachusetts. And Ruth uh, recently had occasion to work over a period of time with uh, a person suffering from Parkinson's disease. And she's written uh, an account of that, which I think by the time you listen to this will be on her website as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about her experiences working with a Parkinson's patient and uh, uh, perhaps um, provide some general information about the how the Alexander Technique uh, could be useful to to people suffering from from Parkinson's disease. Uh, Ruth, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. Could you begin by telling, giving our listeners um, a very short description of the Alexander technique, and then perhaps a very short description of what Parkinson's disease is all about? I'd love to. The Alexander Technique is very hard to sum up in a few words because it's helped so many people in so many different ways. One way I like to think about it is that I help people learn to feel better and move better by using their thinking and learning how important it is to rest their back. And through the technique, people with back pain and neck pain have stopped suffering People with RSI, repetitive stress syndrome, have been relieved. And people who have stress in public performance, public speaking, or in uh, perhaps they're performing artists, actors, singers, dancers, and also people who have um, repetitive movement in their work or their craft, like uh, people who work with clay at a potter's wheel, or people who are constantly gardening, they learn how to use themselves in such a way that they don't wear out so fast so that as we continue to age, we can keep enjoying the things we love to do with ease and mobility and more security about our balance and coordination. Mm-hmm. And then Parkinson's disease, a very Parkinson's, brief dis- description of that. Sure. Uh, Parkinson's disease usually comes around the age of 60 or older. That's the average age, although one of the most famous people that is in the public view is Michael J. Fox, who actually had Parkinson's much earlier than that. It's a degenerative neurological disease with no cure. What happens is people often have a tremor. uh, They have trouble walking. There's something that starts wearing out in their brains neurologically, and it often affects their movement. So they might be very stiff in their movement. They might start slumping over, maybe more to the side, or be very stooped in their torso. And uh, there are medications that can mask the symptoms, relieve them for a while, uh, sometimes slow them down. Some people have what's called a deep brain stimulation, where there are implants, and that for the people that it works for is marvelous that it really stops a lot of the tremoring and stiffness, although it doesn't stop the progression of the disease. Mm-hmm. So uh, some time ago, you had occasion to work with uh, a, a person suffering from Parkinson's disease. 
And I wonder if you could just describe a little uh, the process you used to work with them, what the results were. Um, just tell, tell that story to us. I'd be delighted. In many ways, Robert, the story is not any different from working with any other student because the Alexander Technique is based on principles that every human being can use to learn how to improve their use. The difference for me was that I had only worked very briefly with a couple of other Parkinson's students, and I knew that there was this research uh, that was done in the United Kingdom with another Alexander, well, actually several Alexander teachers, and that they had shown that there was a significant difference in improvement of quality of life for people who had had some 20 lessons, 20, 24 lessons in the Alexander Technique. So when this uh, senior citizen came to my door and said she had Parkinson's and she was having neck problems, I wanted to find a way that I could work with her long enough that I could see what might happen over a long period. Because the other students, one of them I had seen one time, one of them I had seen four times, and then um, they had difficulty just getting to the lessons. So this lady could still drive. Uh, she was stooped. She was a little bit of short of breath. And uh, we arranged that in order for her to be able to afford long-term lessons, I would actually bring her to my teacher, Missy Vineyard, when I did something like a supervision, where I would give a lesson to someone, and then Missy would help me keep improving my use or suggest certain things for me to do or certain things to say. And that way I was still learning and the body, as we might say, received the benefits of both of our hands-on and all of the learning experience that was going on. So this is what this lady did. And she had, I'd say, at least 20 lessons um, from the fall into the spring. And uh, some of the first things that we noticed were were that she was very anxious about her tremor and that, you know, it was there and she was bothered by it and she wanted to fix that. And, you know, we're not doctors, so we weren't asking about her medications per se. But Missy right up front said, you know, your tremor is your tremor. That's part of the disease that you can't control. So just leave that be. And then the things that you can think about are, how to stop worrying about that, how to stop tensing up. And, you know, looking at the shape of this woman, she was quite bent over. And so when she lay down on the table, it was good for her to just lengthen her abdominal muscles, lengthen her front flexor muscles, because when you're curved over so often, those muscles tend to shorten and get even more stiff. So she accepted our suggestion to not worry about her tremor, and I proceeded to give her instruction, teaching her how to not worry, how to quiet her thinking, how to ask herself not to tense. So if she was feeling pain in her neck, I would suggest to her, ask yourself to say, I'm not tensing my neck. She had she came from a, a background of, 
um, going to Quaker meetings, and she really took to the quieting part because that was already something familiar to her. There were some things, just very uh, particular physical things that we also could help her with. We asked her about how, what happened when she got up in the morning, and she said, well, I give myself a stretch before I get out of bed. And we asked her, well, how do you stretch? And she showed that she pulled her head back, which actually was really crunching up the back of her neck. She thought somehow that this was a good thing because she could feel a lot of sensation in doing this. But we suggested that actually that wasn't going to help her because one of the cardinal principles in the Alexander Technique is that the head balance is forward and up of the head-neck joint. And so we keep looking for that relation and we keep suggesting to think forward and up to help guide that organization. And so we offered her a substitute. Would you just, when you wake up, before you get up, just lie quietly and quiet your thoughts and think forward and up and then tell yourself when you're going to get up that you're not going to create a lot of tension or stress. And a week later she came and uh, she said that that was much better. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because that that her experience in some ways is actually a typical thing that Alexander Technique teachers hear from students without any disease condition. Exactly. It's, and that's, yeah, yeah. Um, that's where no matter what we're born with, no matter what injury happens to us, no matter what disease develops in us, there's always a part we can play. Mm-hmm. And that's what we can address as Alexander teachers, is that I can help the student find out how they can play a part to interact with themselves so that they can make the most of whatever conditions are permanent and that they can help speed along healing processes when there's healing that can happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know that uh, in reading your your account of your lessons with her, or her lessons with you, really, and Missy, yeah. that um, at some point uh, her doctor actually suggested uh, reducing her medi- the amount of medication she was taking. Yes. She came in one day, and we could see that her tremor was more visible and her gait was a little bit more disrupted, and she was not feeling well. And we... You know, I proceeded through the lesson with her, and what I noticed day by day, anyhow, during her lessons, she came about weekly, was she often came in saying, oh, I feel just terrible. And she would complain about her neck, or in this instance you're asking about, she complained that overall she wasn't feeling well, and she was going to see her neurologist soon. But the learning was still taking place, so that in each lesson, at the end of each lesson, She was blossoming. She was more upright. She was walking better. But in this day that you're asking about, when she returned to the next lesson, she said, you know what? I saw my neurologist and I reduced my medication. Sometimes with Parkinson's patients, if they have too much medication, they actually get more symptomatic 
they start being more rigid or they're tremoring more. And so a reduction actually balances things. Mm-hmm. So we have we have no way to know whether we were really effective in this, but we like to conjecture if this woman was starting to use herself better and quiet so that she wasn't reacting to her tremors, is it possible that then she wouldn't need as much medication to control it because she was already doing some quieting and like I say, you know, this was only one case, but it does it does re- make reflect on the research in the United Kingdom because one of the significant differences there was that the people who received the Alexander lessons either did not increase their medication or they re- increased it more slowly than the control group. And With this degenerative disease, the only thing that you can do is to increase the medication to reduce the symptoms if you're on medication, if you're not going for the deep brain stimulation. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she could decrease her medication was a great sign. And, you know, we can't really take credit for it, but we just wonder if, um, if the Alexander Technique had any part to play in that. Right, and that certainly suggests an avenue for additional research. I I believe that the group in England who conducted the original research is is in process with a larger scale study, but I'm not totally certain about that. But I'm sure there will be further studies down the road. One other thing that struck me in reading your description is that on a very uh, almost, you might say, mundane, practical level, you gave her some suge- some uh, suggestions for sleeping that involved just placing some pillows at strategic points to alleviate her discomfort. Could you describe that a little bit? Sure. And that was early on, similar to when we talked about don't pull your neck, don't pull your head back in the morning how are you sleeping? Because she would say she was waking up in pain. So she showed us how she put a pillow under her neck. I know this is something that's often recommended um, to support the neck, but from my point of view, it often just makes the head go back and down, and it doesn't really help us find this better relationship. So we said, okay, this is what you've been doing. If you were willing, could you try out for just a week? Take the neck pillow away and place pillows under your head. So, And we showed her um, in the lesson how she could have the head supported. Most people do sleep with a pillow. A pillow that's not going to crunch the back of the neck. It's not going to jam the jaw. And just sleep on that. And she did sleep on her back, so that was how we were showing her. And then because she was so rounded in her torso, her shoulders really didn't rest on the table. We use something like a massage table, and it would be the same when she would be in bed. So we placed some pillows under her shoulders, not way far in, just just enough to support so that then the muscles of her chest could release and the shoulders could fall back onto the pillows. 
And then we'd also put pillows under her knees. Uh, many people might try bolsters. Uh, we've had these nice triangle pillows so that there was quite an elevation and support under the thigh as well as under the knee mm -hmm. and also under the lower leg. And she found that quite comfortable during the lessons. So when we started with most of the time having her laying, lying down, we had her supported with these pillows and she came back the next week quite happy. Mm -hmm. um, and and your suggestion for a change, for moving the pillow from under her neck to under her head, that's something again that comes up all the time with uh, students of yes. Alexander teachers, you bet. and um, and almost always in my experience when a student explores that a little bit, they quickly realize that. Um, in a sense, unless there's some injury, perhaps, uh, in your neck, your neck doesn't need to be supported. It's 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 really your head that needs a little elevation for comfort. Exactly. So, so yeah. again, that's a, an, another another example of how you were, in a sense, treating her like you would any other student, but obviously one with some some very special uh, conditions. Right, and it was actually because of the conditions and the. Um, I hadn't. I do have several senior citizens in my practice, but no one who was quite as stooped as she was. So my reasons for having Missy there to uh, support my learning was that I just wasn't sure how much I could expect from someone who was having this disease, but. One of the things that was great about the lessons for me was that I just learned that if I stick to the principles of the Alexander Technique, it is going to help people. I'm mm -hmm. not there to fix their problems. I'm there to teach them these principles. And as you say, someone doesn't have to have a severe problem to have come up with this idea of putting a support under the neck instead of the head. And as we teach people this different kind of coordination and things shed, they find, as Alexander said, the right thing does itself. Mm -hmm. And again, in reading your account, as we discussed a little before the interview, it is a, a kind of a bittersweet story because while the Alexander lesson certainly uh, improved uh, your student's quality of life, it didn't, of course, prevent the disease from progressing, and the disease did progress. And um, I wonder how, uh, in terms of some, someone who is suffering from Parkinson's disease and is listening to us right now, um, what's the basic message that you would give them? Clearly, we're not therapists. We can't put a stop to the progression of their disease. What is it, if you could summarize, what is it that an Alexander Technique teacher could offer someone with Parkinson's disease? At least potentially could offer them, let's put it that way, to be really on the safe side. Well, the, in the title of my article, it said it was a case study in generating hope for a degenerative condition. Mm-hmm. Now, hope is always something we want to have in our lives. And yet, it doesn't mean hope for cure, but hope that the remaining days of my life can be filled with love, 
with ease, with reduced stress. And I hope that for every person on the planet, and it's particularly important when people are facing something that they know is not going to get better. So to those listening who have Parkinson's disease, everything you can do for yourself is going to make your day better. And there's many ways to access information about the Alexander Technique online. There are some wonderful books. Missy Vineyard is you know, an author of one of the more recent books on the Alexander Technique. And there are teachers all over the world, many, many in the United States, many in the UK, uh, what, what, Robert, 17 countries at least have Alexander teachers? Oh, I think it's more than that at this point. A lot yeah. of countries have Alexander. They're probably... Uh, maybe 4,000 Alexander Technique teachers around the world. They're mainly concentrated in Europe, North America, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Israel, but in a lot of other countries now, in South America, for example, there are a significant number of teachers as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that even though... Many people who are hearing this podcast might never have heard of the Alexander Technique before. Once people have an experience, they usually find that they've learned something that they can keep. Mm -hmm. And the more you learn, the more you've got. So I would encourage people to try it out. Reading is good, but finding someone who can put their hands on you, the hands-on help, is really significant. Absolutely. And I think... um, uh, I always have trouble remembering the full title of Missy's book. Do you have it uh, handy in your in your head right now? I do indeed. <laughs> how you stand, how you move, how you live. Right, and then there's a, a little subtitle. Oh, there is a subtitle, that. which I can't get the whole thing now, but it's about mastering. Yeah. It's got to be one of the the world's longest uh, book titles, but it (laughs) is an excellent book, and um, uh, it. I think you 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 mentioned, and I've heard accounts as well of people who've actually put into practice some of the ideas that are in her book. Her book is not primarily designed to be a self help book, but it certainly has elements of that, and people. I know, and you, you, you told me before the interview, have actually benefited from applying some of the ideas that, that she, she has in the book. So if, I, if, if all you can do to start with is read something, that would be a great place to start. That's absolutely right. And I did just hear about someone with Parkinson's who had read her book and was having trouble at night sleeping. And... Um, said, well, okay, I'm going to try what she was telling me to do in the book. Mm-hmm. And his tremor subsided, and he was able to fall asleep again. Mm-hmm. And that was quite a change for him. Mm-hmm. So it is pretty powerful, our thought, and, and how we can help ourselves through our thought. Well, this might be a good place to end the podcast, unless you have something else uh, that you feel we haven't mentioned. Um, I think we're pretty complete. I really appreciate your asking me to do this. And uh, I wish best of luck to all suffering with Parkinson's. Absolutely. 
So my my guest today has been Ruth Rutberg, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Amherst, Massachusetts. If uh, certainly if you're in the Amherst area and you, anything we've said uh, intrigues you, give her a call. We'll put a link to her website by the interview. And if you're anywhere else in the world, uh, see if you can find a local teacher and have uh, perhaps two or three lessons to get a, a, some sense of what this process is all about. And if there are no teachers available, uh, you might want to buy Missy's book. And there are other some other self-help resources uh, at alexandertechnique.com, my, my website. Um, Ruth, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was my pleasure, Robert. <laughs>